You're listening to the Eat With Grace podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Jackie Neinheis, registered dietitian and professor of culinary medicine. And I am your co-host, Brooke Fredrickson, registered dietitian and certified diabetes care and education specialist. And we are here to challenge a culture around food and nutrition from a biblical perspective. It's great to be here. This is Jackie, your co-host with Brooke. We are looking a little bit at stress eating today. You know, the interesting thing about stress eating, it's not always a weight gain. In some people it's a weight gain, some people it's a weight loss, but uniformly when people are under stress, their eating habits seem to change. And you know, their uh, GI distress seems to be affected. So uh, Brooke, can you give us just a little bit of uh, background, maybe stress eating when you've dealt with patients and uh, what kind of things you look at? Yeah, stress eating is very common. Uh, and like you said, Jackie, it affects everyone differently. Um, I personally am a person who turns to food when I'm under stress. Uh, when my life gets out of control, or if I have something weighing on me, if I have something big coming up that I'm really nervous about, uh, I will definitely find myself turning to food. And so I know for myself, that's something that I have to be aware of. Lots of patients, lots of patients in the past too, um, that deal with stress eating. Um, I would say most of them say that they struggle the most with turning to sweets, um, or salty snacks, especially in the evenings. I don't know what it is about the evenings, but that tends to be a time of day where people tend to do that. Uh, but yeah, I guess that's my my main experience with it. Jackie, do you have any personal or professional experience with people who stress eat? You know, stress eating is probably one of the biggest things that patients might not even realize they're doing when they come to me and we start working through it, we start talking through it. And it becomes very evident that, you know, what they're doing is stress eating. And sometimes um, I give the example, stress eating is, is you walk by and you see that the potato chip bag is completely empty and it was a big bag. And you're like, okay, who ate that? And there's nobody else in the room. There's nobody else around. And you realize you ate that without even thinking about it. And under normal circumstances, you could have those potato chips in the cupboard and you wouldn't even touch them. But mm. under stress, you just, you know, grab them or something. And sweets would be another thing that you normally, it wouldn't be something that tempts you. But under stress, it's like all that goes out the window. And, you know, when we talk about that diets don't work, the reason they don't work is yes, you can lose weight, but as soon as you hit some overwhelming odds in your life, as soon as you hit some really difficult periods or maybe even exciting periods, stress plays a factor a lot of times in change of eating habits and an increase in weight. So I think that's a stress is a factor in why diets don't work because we're all under stress. I mean, there's so much stress in different areas. Well, and if we talk about stress, maybe, maybe we should talk about how, or specifically, yeah, how stress affects our bodies and why do we turn to food? I think 
Uh, stress actually plays a big role in our hormones. And we know when, when our, our stress is elevated, there's an increase in cortisol in our body, which is you know considered the stress hormone, which can affect the way that our body uses insulin. It can affect the way um, our other hormones work in our body. It can affect our appetite. Um, and our fullness hormones. And so all of these different things come into play. There's actually a physical reason why when we are stressed, um, we might feel more hungry. So I think that's a physical reason. There's lots of, you know, emotional reasons. We know that our emotions um, can play a role in it. One of them is because uh, we turn to food because it makes us feel better. Like it, it's going to, you know, excite um, some of those, you know, the dopamine response in our brain, and it's going to make us feel better in the moment. It tastes good. It's something that distracts us. I think people use food as a distraction. Um, we can also use food um, as a way of procrastinating. <laughs> so I know if I have a big project or something with work, I need to work on, um, hey, I'm going to go find a snack first so that I don't have to work on this, like delaying that. Um, I think people use food in that way too. So, so people use food to, to combat stress or to um, alleviate stress or to feel better in multiple different things. But yeah, there's a physical mechanism, there's emotional, there's behavioral, there's all kinds of things that kind of factor into why we turn to food in those situations. And the interesting thing that I have found in, uh, in a big body of research is that, okay, whatever emotion we're feeling, let's say that it is... Um, depression or some other kind of stress like that. And then we eat. Okay. So let's say we have this baseline level of how we're feeling. We eat something and in the moment, it might go up to a 10 on a scale of one to 10 of how good it feels. Mm -hmm. But immediately after we eat, and it might be a little longer for some people than others, but a lot of times it's right away. You go back to that baseline. Right. So it is such a momentary type mm -hmm. of thing. It's not really taking away any of the problems or making any of the issues right. any better. It's afterwards, you can even feel bad because of how you handled the stress. Yep. You know, um, so here we're talking about stress and, you know, there are all kinds of things in our lives that can cause stress, but the main ones might be work, finances, family, um, expectations, either of ourselves or what other people have expectations of us. Now, when you look at the stress, we're going to talk about ways to alleviate some of that stress, but there are times where you just can't alleviate it. Like, like it is there, you have to go through it and there really are no other options. So when we push back on the food nutrition culture from a biblical perspective, one of the things that we can do is how can we endure that stress better? And that's what I think that the Bible helps us with because, you know, the Bible doesn't say we're not going to have stress. In fact, it says in this world, you will have tribulation which is stress. So it acknowledges that there's stress there, but we need to turn to the right things in the right way to increase what I call our capacity to endure stress. 
Yeah, I think that's a great way of looking at it because stress is not something that we're ever going to get rid of. We can't just eliminate the problem, right? Um, stress is always going to be there. We just have to figure out how we are going to, like you said, endure it. How are we going to cope with it? How are we going to manage it? Um, and food is not going to solve it. Food does not solve stress. It does not solve the problem. Um, it might numb you out for a little bit. So you're not feeling as stressed, but it's, it's not going to solve the problem. And like Jackie said, it can actually cause more problems if it becomes um, a bad habit or if you take it too far with, uh, you know, how much food you're eating. So yeah, how do we, how do we deal with stress? You know, like you mentioned with the Bible, Jackie, Matthew, is it Matthew five or Matthew six says, do not worry. Like anytime that we're anxious about something, we need to come to God. We need to lay it at his feet. We need to pray about it. Um, we need to trust him through that situation. And I think that alone as a Christian, it can take, you know, a huge burden off of your shoulders. Um, so you don't feel like you're carrying it by yourself, right? You're not trying to do it all by yourself. You're going to trust God um, in that situation. Now, you might not feel better immediately by doing that, but I think the constant reminder of laying it at his feet and casting our cares on him um, is going to get us through that situation. He will get us through the storm. He has promised to do that. It might not be easy, but he will do it. And so again, that faith and that trust is a huge component of dealing with stressful times. That is beautiful. That is really beautiful. That is right from the scriptures. You know, another thing that's from the scriptures is talking about rest. You know, six days, um, God labored and the seventh day rested. And he has commanded us that we are to rest on the seventh day. And by allowing our bodies to rest and to recover, we start to mend. I know me personally, I am emotionally stronger when I'm rested. And when I'm not rested, I am more likely to fall apart at little things than when I'm rested. And so there is a very good physiological reason, a mental reason, an emotional reason of why we need rest. So why don't you like explain what you mean by rest? Are you talking like sleep at night or are you talking like um, you know, taking a day each week to not work. Like I, you know, I think there's a lot of, um, gray areas in that term rest. And what does that look like? You know, people? I think I'm talking about both things okay. because we know that sleep is really important for your body to, um, physically, emotionally, spiritually be renewed. That sleep okay. is really important. I'm also talking, though, about the Sabbath rest and um, six days you labor and the seventh day rest. I think that means different things for different people, but I think that it needs to be something different than the other six days. Okay. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good way of saying it. I know me personally. Um, just in the last month, I've really struggled with that concept of rest. Um, I've had a lot of things going on in my life that have interrupted my sleeping patterns, which has definitely, you know, increased my stress levels um, and has kind of got me out of balance this last few weeks. But I've also noticed that when I try to rest, um, like I can't shut my mind off. Like I'm still worrying. I'm still like 
highly focused on being productive. And I've really been, that's something I've been praying about and trying to work through is not feeling the need to be productive all the time. Uh, because I think this, this, I'm putting like undue stress on myself, trying to get all these things accomplished when maybe they're not that important and they don't have to be accomplished right this moment. Um, but yeah, I know that's something that I've been struggling with recently that I'm, that I'm working through that has been causing me stress. Yeah. yeah. So um, whatever it means for the Sabbath to be a day of rest, to be something different than what you've done all the six days before, et cetera. You know, another thing that we can think about is when we know who we are, when we know what we're supposed to do in God, that gives us a huge amount of relief from stress. So the stress is still there. All the pressures are still on you, but it gives us a little bit of a priority. You know, sometimes stress is because we feel so overwhelmed by life. We feel so overwhelmed by everything that's happening. But, you know, if, if we can just rest in our Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes it gives us a little bit of clarity of priorities. And this is my priority. And then this, and then this. And that relieves some stress in itself because you have a way of, attacking the day saying okay this is my priority then this and then this and we'll go step by step through this because stress often isn't that kind of like thinking about how bad it's going to be and sometimes it's not as bad as we think it is mm. we're worried right. about what's going to happen and how it's going to happen when we really don't even know for sure right and that's where i think a lot of it can be you know, us like making it worse in our own minds, like catastrophizing or, um, you know, I think we can be our own worst enemy in it and make it worse by not having enough margin in our life by overscheduling ourselves or by taking on more than we should or um, by taking on other people's stresses. You know, I think there's so many ways that we do this without like realizing it. Um, and then before we know it, we feel like we're drowning. And so I think, you know, being aware of where your stress is coming from, why are you stressing out about this? Is it something that you should be stressed about or not? Um, and then, like you said, Jackie, we, we need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know what his purpose is in our life. And we need to make sure that we are trusting him with that. And, um, again, handing those stresses over to him and not, not worrying about things that we um, maybe don't need to worry about. There are some things that we do need to worry about, um, but still just trusting him with the outcomes, I think is a huge stress reliever. You know, one person in the Bible that we could talk about under stress, which I don't think we often do, would be Queen Esther. You know, she had to go before the king and bring this petition to save her people, but she was risking her life. Like, she could have totally been annihilated just for even coming before the king without being asked. So that would be an incredible amount of stress. And then she was given the advice, what if you were made for such a time as this? I thought, oh, wow, how beautiful. Well, we could think the same way. Let's say we get stressed 
when we have to give a presentation in front of people, or if we have to give a report at work or something, you know, you could turn that around and, and in the moment of the stress, you could think, dear Lord, thank you for the privilege that I get to be here. And thank you for choosing me to do this. And the stress has not gone away, but you're looking at it a little bit differently. And I think that um, just that verse, what if I was chosen for such a time as this? I'm like, oh Lord, I don't want to ruin it by being all stressed out and falling apart. I want to go one step forward and see what you have for me. Right. Well, and that kind of reminds me of, you know, we just, one of our recent podcasts, we just recorded one a couple of weeks ago on um, acceptance and contentment and gratitude. And I think in stressful situations, this would apply as well, right? Um, no matter what situation we find ourselves, no matter what stressful event um, or, or situation we're dealing with, we can still be content. We can still be thankful. We can still show gratitude um, in our current situation. And I think uh, that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. So trying to increase our capacity to endure the stress, a fourth item would be to be supported by others. You know, this is something that uh, like a church small group, you would be by, supported by others. Um, so the church in the past has done this really well. I think with the pandemic, we have probably lost some of that and, and we need to get back to that and realize how important it is. You know, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is if you look at secular psychology, they actually have a name for this and it's called um, social prescription. And when they give a social prescription, what they're saying is to become a part of a group with a purpose. So in the secular counseling area, you know, that's what they say. Well, I think as Christians, that's what a small group at churches, I mean, being able to really share your deepest fears, your, your, your anxieties, your, um, the stresses in your life, et cetera, in that group is, is so, so important. Right. And whether it's a small group or whether it's a Bible study or whether it's a couple of close Christian friends or some prayer warriors, I mean, any of those things we do, we were designed for fellowship um, and we were designed for relationship, not only with God, um, but with other people. And um, I think, you know, we can we can look at our society over the last couple of years with COVID and with all of the the social isolation that occurred. And we've seen the significant increases in, you know, mental illness or in suicides or in um, addictions and what happens to the human condition when we are isolated from each other. Like we do need each other. And I think that is uh, such an obvious testament of um, how God created us to be. I know when I'm stressed out, I tend to isolate. Um, I am much less likely to go out and be with friends or do something when I'm under stress again, because I, I think I feel this need to I don't know, handle it on my own. Um, but we're not called to do that, right? We're called to um, carry each other's burdens and to help each other out. And I think that's a great way of doing that, making sure that we're reaching out, um, especially to other believers who can help us and pray for us and, and get us through those situations. And you mentioned isolation, like under stress, you isolate. 
Well, think about this. Isolation is a stress in itself. Mm-hmm. Now, just to get draw this back to food, you know, people during the pandemic seem to have gained some weight and they said, oh, this proves that eating at home isn't the answer to everything and all healthful. But actually, could it be that the isolation and the stress that was going on increased our eating and there was stress eating there and it had nothing to do that we were eating our meals at home. It more had to do with the isolation. It had more to do with the stress and the stress eating. So I think that whole, um, you know, which came first is very interesting. No, I think that's definitely a possibility. I could see, you know, uh, food environment being an issue too. If someone, you know, is used to working out of the home and, and, you know, maybe they just bring a lunch and that's all they have for the day versus someone who's working for home. And now they have access to the kitchen, you know, the entire day. I think that plays a role in it. I think stress and, and, um, emotions during that time definitely, uh, would play a role in it. Also people were getting less activity because they were stuck in their houses. They weren't going out, um, you know, to the gyms anymore. They weren't involved in social events where maybe they used to go, you know, play tennis with their friends or do whatever. It just, it, I think there was like this, this storm of this perfect storm of like all of these horrible things that we instituted onto our lives at the, at the same moment. So they all played a role mm-hmm. in that. Yeah. So sometimes I think of the opposite of stress is feeling secure. And some people talk about this God-shaped hole in our lives, but we could also describe that a little bit differently, like that we all have a desire to be safe in the arms of a sovereign king, of our Lord, Jesus Christ. And that feeling secure and feeling that safe, you know, is that possibly what the peace that passes all understanding is talking about? And is that also not another way to help us endure stress? So there are a lot of ways to look at this stress. There's a lot of ways to look at this tribulation. Um, And there are a lot of healthy ways of dealing with it. You know, one thing we didn't mention about a support group, if you do feel like you struggle with stress eating, you know, working with a dietitian might be a really good idea. And um, sometimes dietitians will have support groups or they'll have classes. Like Brooke, I think you have classes where basically it's a group coming together with a purpose. Yeah, usually once a year I offer intuitive eating classes. Um, I'll be doing that this next January. Um, But yeah, in a group setting, it really is a good way to allow people to share. kind of what they're going through and being able to, to relate with other people. So I do like doing things in that format. Um, but yeah, if we're going to talk about coping mechanisms, way to ways to cope with stress, what can we do other than eating? Um, I think one of the first things that you need to do is first identify, you know, if you are stress eating, if you find yourself just mindlessly eating at random times, or you can't figure out why your eating's out of control, I think trying to identify what the source is, is important. Is it stress eating? If it is stress eating, what is causing the stress? Is there anything that you can do to to alleviate that stress in your life? Or if it's something that's out of your control, then again, we look at how do we cope with it? So um, 
first of all, understanding that we know that food is not going to solve that problem is important. So we're not going to turn to food when we're feeling that way and being intentional about that. So I usually tell people to have a list. We need to have a list of other coping mechanisms, other things that are going to make you feel better in that moment or help you deal with it that are not going to be harmful to you. Um, so if we want to run through some quick ideas, Jackie, I know some of the, the top ones that come to my mind, I mean, prayer is always a good one. Um, I tell people, if you want to go take a shower or take a bath, when you're feeling yourself just continually drawn to the kitchen, go do that, go out and go for a walk, um, call a friend journal. I mean, anything like that, um, that might distract you. It could just be a distraction, or it could be something that might actually help you work through that, um, emotion that you're feeling at the time. But those are some of the common ones that I guess I, I tell people to, to turn toward Jackie. Can you think of any other things? You know, I think those are all really, really great ideas. And I think your idea of a list is excellent. And what the, each person will find is that their list is different than everyone else's. But mm -hmm. if you do have a registered dietitian who can bring together some people in a support group, you might learn from other people's ideas of what seems to help them. You know, yep. um, some people eat, stress eat like during commercials. Uh, so maybe during commercials, if you feel motivated, you know, do a few stretches, do a few exercises. And it also gets you moving during that time if, if you're just sitting there. And that might also, I don't know, do you fit boredom eating in with stress eating? Because actually, I think of boredom as a kind of stress, but it's usually thought of as something different. So sometimes when we're watching TV during commercials, that would be like eating out of boredom. So I would put, I mean, I put stress eating, boredom eating, emotional eating, they're all, they're all the same. Um, I would say they're all emotions, right? So stress is a reaction to some kind of emotion, um, whether it's worry or anxiousness or um, you know, whatever it is. Um, boredom falls into that too. So it's kind of under the umbrella of emotional eating. But yeah, it can show up in many different ways um, for many different people. So there are exercises like sit and be fit that you can sit in a chair and start doing. So if you feel mm -hmm. like you're going to get up and go to the kitchen and grab something, you know, maybe start to do some of those things. Um, another thing is not to keep those foods around that you're most prone to doing, to eating at those times. Um, you could have out a bowl of vegetables, like things that you really enjoy. And those could be the things that are your go-to. Sometimes we're just eating to taste the butter or we're just eating to taste the salt or we're just eating to taste the uh, sweetness. And if that's the case, you take those things away, you're more likely to taste the food and you're satisfied maybe with less. I don't know. Well, and I think that's one way to know if it's um, true hunger versus, you know, emotional or stress eating. If it's true hunger, you're going to be satisfied eating anything. So you would be satisfied, you know, they say like, do like an apple test or broccoli test or something like, would I be satisfied eating an apple? Would that satisfy whatever I'm feeling right now? If you can eat an apple and be satisfied with it, maybe it was true hunger. If you're like, no, an apple's not going to do it. I need ice cream. Um, then it's probably more of an emotion. It's more of a feeling or something you're trying to, um, 
trying to alleviate. And we, we talked about this in our, in our hunger versus cravings podcast. Um, so if you want to go back and listen to that, you can too. I'll make sure to uh, put it in the show notes after this, but, um, but yeah, I guess really evaluate, like if you're looking for something really palatable, really rich, um, versus just being satisfied with something that's, you know, like Jackie said, that's simple. Like, like if, you know, some broccoli and hummus, would that satisfy you? No, well then you're probably not hungry. So that's a maybe good indication to look for something else to try to help you cope with whatever, you know, stress or feeling you have at the moment. And, you know, some of this comes down to how we were taught Mm -hmm. to handle stress. I know I had a patient, I might've mentioned this before, but she told me that um, she was overweight. And if she had a rejection, uh, Friday night, no date, Friday night, nothing do, or um, had been stood up or something. She said she remembers her mom and her sister and herself all getting each having their own quart of ice cream and a spoon and sitting in bed together, maybe watching a movie and eating their quart of ice cream. You know, that's how she learned to deal with disappointments. Mm -hmm. And that's how she learned mm -hmm. to handle the stress. And she ended up obese because of that. And it had been a lifetime of, of habits. Well, and that's a prime reason right there why we shouldn't use food for punishment or reward. Right. It, I think I see a lot of parents doing this with their kids. If their kid has a bad day, let's go up for ice cream. If their kid, you know, um, I don't know what, I mean, either way, whether it's a reward or punishment, if they do go on test, let's go up for ice cream. I think using food as a punishment or reward is difficult because when you, when you learn that as a child, you're going to carry it into adulthood. So every time something good happens, or every time something bad happens, you're going to turn back to that thing that made you feel better, right, as a kid. And so we shouldn't use food in those ways, because I think that that just sets you up exactly for that, that example you just shared, Jackie. So, so looking at looking at stress, try to alleviate it if you can. But if you can't, do the things that are going to help you get through it. First of all, I think um, our takeaway messages first would be realize that you're stress eating. And secondly, you know, seek the kingdom of God first. That is biblical. And there is a reason that we need to do that. Um, get adequate rest. And then also try to eat something else in place of the foods maybe that you're more prone to overeat on. And um, choose those foods that it's easier to eat in moderation. Yeah, and definitely pay attention to, to your hunger and fullness um, in those situations. If you're not hungry, you know you're not hungry, but you know you're turning to food just to feel better, then definitely do something not food related. Find some other coping mechanism that you can do that's going to help you relax. It's maybe going to help you, um, you know, clear your mind or, or, or deal with it differently. So. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening today. If you have any questions about stress eating, you can contact us through our Instagram page. And other than that, we will see you next week. Thank you so much. Looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening to the Eat With Grace podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing so you don't miss an episode. 
We would love to have you leave a review or comment on our Instagram page. It's been great to share this time with you. And we pray that you have a grace-filled day.